And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello everyone, I'm Danny Kelly and I'm your host for the View from the Lane, the Athletics, a Tottenham Hotspur podcast. All Spurs, all thriller, no filler. I'm joined on the podcast today by the Athletics' Jack Pitbrook and James Moore to look back on Spurs' business in the summer transfer window. We'll get to all that shortly, um, of course we will. Uh, first of all, welcome to both of you. First, Jack, um, I tweeted you mercilessly on deadline day saying that uh, after doing a number of shows over the weekend myself, I now had my feet on the corner of the desk and was watching the television and uh, eating a Cornetto, whereas you appear to be working diligently. What's it like transfer deadline day for written journalists? It, it's okay. It's okay. I don't, I don't especially like You've it. You've got to say like that because James is here. That You've got to say that. <laughs> yeah, I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to sound enthusiastic about my work while also being honest, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah it, to be honest, from a Spurs perspective, it was a very quiet day, you know, they got they got in the one signing that I think was expected that they would get in on that day, but it's um, fortunately there were no big dramas. I mean, the good news is that all the all the major plot lines I think were tied up earlier on. You know, Kane and Dombele staying, Son contract, all that kind of thing. So fortunately, it was only the uh, only a pretty minor stories left left to do on final day. James, what about for you? I mean, obviously, I work in my other life with people from the from the daily sort of um, still print print and paper and ink uh, operation, and for them, it's absolute chaos because um, they're chasing uh, web, particularly websites like the Athletic. How is it for you, the transfer deadline day? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty mad. I mean, I think that the maddest few days of the window were probably in the week before rather than the, on the last day itself. Actually, I think it was ultimately, it's quite often the way, isn't it? The last day is actually quite quiet in comparison to those few days before. But yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of, because, you know, I, like you, I've worked in magazines for a lot of my career. Mm. So coming into uh, coming into this kind of newsroom environment is still a bit different for me as well. So yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting to see people get that excited. And we had a lot of the athletics writers sat in our office, including Jack, Despite the fact Jack, Jack was sat in the office for the whole day and didn't yeah. realise I was there until I left. That was fun, actually. Being in the office and talking and getting to, to hang out with legends like James Horncastle yeah. was well, actually... Um, uh, was Yeah, th- that was a highlight of the day for me. Spending transfer deadline day with David Onsen is a genuinely amazing experience. Oh, yeah, that is. It's real. That is a real... That's the sharp end. How many telephones yeah. does he have, James? I, I think only one, but he... I mean, he's literally constantly on the phone for the whole day. Like... Te- text, WhatsApp, on the phone, making calls, taking calls. It's it's just relentless. And now he has to like, you know, de- decompress himself over the course of the next four months, and then he'll be back for January. Let's talk about um, the one transfer that did go through. I, I, I really would like, uh, before the end of the program, to get the three of us to individually give us our our assessments of a transfer window, because I think there's any number of different interpretations 
of what's gone on with Spurs in the last uh, 12 weeks, whatever it's been. But um, the actual person who has come in um, is Emerson Royal. Um, people say he's Barcelona, of course, and he played three games for Barcelona. What can people expect from the deadline day signing, Jack? Well, I've just been reading uh, Charlie Eccleshare's piece about Royale. Uh, Great name, by the way. Great name, good. Emerson Royal. Yeah, if you want to learn a lot about him, that's that's the place to go. So it seems like he is a, a fast attacking right back who will give Spurs something a little bit extra on that side, which they haven't really got at the moment. Uh, he seems to have done pretty well in his two years at Real Betis after coming over on some sort of joint venture between Barcelona and Betis from Atletico Mineiro a few years ago. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to, to seeing him play. So there's some lots of stats in there showing that he's a very aggressive defender, likes to play on the front foot, win the ball early, uh, likes to run with the ball, get high up the pitch. Which you know, this is something we talked about last week. It's not really Tanganga's strength, as we saw in the Watford game. It sounds game. like you're describing Serge Aurier there. <laughs> well, yeah, that's you know that that that's fair enough. Um, I hope I think I think the dream is that he will have all the upside of Serge Aurier and none of the bad mistakes that Aurier would make quite consistently. You know, won't give away so many penalties won't lose his man so often, um, will hopefully be a bit more of a reliable presence off the field as well. But we'll have to wait and see. James, I um, spoke on Sunday night to Tim Vickery, uh, who is my South American football yeah. star, live from Brazil. And Tim, of course, is as bad as you and me about the Spurs. Um, and he gave me quite a, I won't say negative, shall we say neutral assessment of the talents Oh, ne- negative Royal. is, I think, uh, from what I've heard of what Tim Vickery has said, negative does sound like a quite a fair assessment. He's all right. He doesn't really understand why they've gone for him. But what, what's your impressions, or at least of what you've seen? Of course, I presume like me, you've been on YouTube. Oh, of um, course. Watching him doing back heels on the edge of his own box, by the way, Jack. In- that, which is incredibly Serge Aurier, by the way. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, I, I think like you, you were both saying at the start of the week, you know, to, in that game against Watford uh, last weekend, it, re- it was really, really obvious that Tanganga was uncomfortable, like, in the attacking third yeah and there was you know that moment in the second half where Kane picked up the ball deep shaped to kind of arc a pass out to the right hand side saw Tanganga was there and suddenly thought oh actually I'll turn back and knock it off to Reggion on the other side instead and you just kind of think it, it really just feel like that there was a need for an attacking right back and if Aurier was going to go um, and obviously we know that the uh, Spurs have been keen to get to get a shot of Vario through the whole window. We've only just found out how keen though, and it's not <laughs> oh, yeah, paying off. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Um, so you can see you can see why they might prioritise an attack an attacking right back rather than an offensive one. And I think Tommy Asu, the the, uh, the the guy who's just gone from Bologna to Arsenal, uh, is a really is really like Tangago, a centre back who can play at fullback. So defender first and foremost. I, I feel sorry that for fellow. One minute you're on you're going to Spurs, the next minute you're going to Arsenal. That, that's no that's way the future. You and being is it? That's yeah, not always unfortunate. Treat human being. Um, what does it mean? Um, do you think that the signing of uh, and I hope, let's hope first of all welcome aboard Emerson Royal. Let's hope he does fantastic work and becomes uh, you know a hero. Um, what it, I mean, I, I was going to say, what does it? You can answer either question. What does it mean for Jaffet uh, Jaffet Tanganga, and what does it mean for Spurs' defence? Because everything about his career so far suggests that Nuno, the manager, wants to go three at the back. And I can see I can see Tanganga on the right of a th- of a three, but what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think Tanganga's long term future is probably going to be at centre back. I mean, to me, he looks a bit more at, like a centre back than a right back. I think it's not unusual for young centre backs to play at full back at the start of their careers as, the, yeah. as they try and develop that experience. So 
I imagine this will accelerate that process. I think it's I think it's only right that Spurs should have a natural attacking right back in that position, you know, particularly given the way they play that narrow front line and not a lot of uh, creativity in the midfield three. They obviously need the fullbacks to do a fair bit of the legwork when it comes to creating chances and getting the ball into the box. So in that sense, I think it, it is absolutely right that they should have someone who can do more or less what Sergio Reguilon tried to do on the other side out on the right. What has happened to Matt Doherty? Because, um, you know, when we got him, everybody thought, hang on, he is the best wing back in this league. And it just hasn't happened for him whatsoever, has it? Well, I think at Wolves, he had a system that was built for him. It was, it was built for him to get the ball into the box. You know, he would start very high up the pitch. It's very different from playing the back four. I also think that, you know, Wolves sold him for a reason. You know, Wolves, Nuno wouldn't have sold him if he thought he was brilliant. And I... He's played a huge amount of football for hundreds and hundreds of games for Wolves. I don't think he looks especially... I don't think he's ever looked sharp since he came to Tottenham. He's got a lot of miles in the tank. And um, I just don't think... I. My own view is that I always thought Aurier was better than him. Even though Aurier made more mistakes than him, Aurier was quicker and better going forward. I, I have no real... I mean, people really, really have decided to to hate on, as I think uh, people say nowadays, um, Serge Aurier. Aurier's a good footballer. His athleticism is unusual, um, even at this level of the game. But you're right, he, he just made, for in other leagues, perhaps not quite as sharp as the Premier League. You might get away with making two mistakes in one game. I guess, uh, last question about this then. He seems determined, uh, you know, seems determined, James, to play with a straightforward four at the back. Do you think that's the way forward now for the rest of the season for Spurs? I mean, I think the logical thing would be to kind of keep an open mind on that, I guess, because, you know, as you say, Tanganga looks like a, a, a right-sided centre-back of a three. What we've heard about Romero last season at Atalanta was that he played centrally in a three. Uh, ben Davis's best position is probably on the left of a three. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there are there are players among those centre-back options who are well-suited to playing that system. Obviously, you, you'd suspect Reggion and... Um, Royale are both suited to that kind of system as well. So and Doherty as well. So it, it doesn't seem like and it would be Sessignon, the worst thing. And, so we're working this out for ourselves. I now, mean, aren't look, we? it is it is all the pieces are all there. Yeah, quite what happens in the midfield and the rest of it after that is a different question. But uh, it it does it does feel like it's quite good to have that in our pocket if in case for whatever reason it doesn't work out. And I mean, actually, I think in re, in the next few weeks a shortage of centre backs is going to be the problem rather than a surplus. So sure, sure, that might not be the situation. But um, yeah, I think it'll stick for a four for the time being. I mean, and look. You know, they kept three clean sheets in three league games, so who are we to quibble? Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. This is what we've got planned for you across the Athletic Podcast Network this season. The Ornstein and Chapman podcast has been rebranded as the Athletic Football Podcast. We'll release four episodes across the week as our journalists bring you the very best insights into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new Athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, the FPL General, giving you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network is also home now to host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. And that is it. 
and then we can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly, with all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic is now the world's biggest football podcast network. I really want to talk about the transfer window as a whole because I think it's been... Spurs have had a very interesting, should we put it no more than that, transfer window. James, we're all going to make an assessment of this over the next 15 minutes. I'll start with you, James, but not least because you sent a text yesterday saying, I want to talk about the transfer window and Spurs, but I read that a man stood at the far end of a cricket stadium pawing at the ground. What did you want to say? <laughs> what did you want to say? I, I was quite encouraged by Spurs' early activity and the fact they were moving on players who they had probably held on to for slightly too long. So guys like, you know, uh, uh, Toby Alderweireld, who'd had a very good spell at Spurs. Brilliant. Um, but for £13 million at that age, with, I think, what, two years on his contract, when, he, you know, he hadn't had a great season last season, I think that was a, that was a decent deal for Spurs. Lamella, we talked about before, you know, ups and downs, but I think to... to Moving on and bringing a, a promising young player for a relatively small fee and part exchange, I think, was sensible. But then from then, it's kind of moved so slowly. And I guess the problem has been they've not been able to move out the players they'd like to move out, Aurier included. And I guess it's okay for the money they would have wanted originally. And it's just meant I just we've just ended up with this sort of half-hearted rebuild, really. It's kind of felt like a sort of five out of ten effort for... Forgetting the thing, you know, we've got a centre-back who we think is going to be very good. He looked very good against uh, uh, Pacos de Ferreira in the Conference League. But I mean, look, uh, you know, we're not going to get too carried away about that. Hill looked very good in that game as well. But again, you know, we, we can't uh, we can't judge him solely on uh, games against teams like that. So, uh, you know, th those two could be very good. Royale, we think, could be good. But they haven't brought in any sure things, I don't think. And that does worry me slightly. And it also worries me they haven't addressed what I think is a surplus of goal scorers in that team. And, and midway through last season on the podcast, we talked about the fact that at that point, only Son and Bale were scoring goals. And I think I think this might have been after the Sheffield United game where Ndombele scored, Jack might remember. And we were saying, oh, maybe it'll be Ndombele who who will come in and we yeah. wanted, you know, someone to come in and score like eight goals between then and the end of the season. Uh, and obviously, you know, he barely played after that. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately for Spurs, although it didn't really do them much good, Bale then did end up scoring sort of 15, 16 goals. 16 by the end he of the got totally. Yeah. yeah, which was, you know, very, very good, given how little he played. The issue there is statistically, Kane, Son and Bale had the best season ever in the Premier League by any front three. They went roaring past what Liverpool's front three had done in the two previous years in terms of goals and assists. Bale's not there now. And as you say, yeah. he tends to get the goals in unimportant games. Well, let me ask you two questions that are based, uh, James, and I'm sure Jack will have a view on this as well. I feel you pressing on two issues there. One is the third goal scorer, and trust me, it's going to have to be Deli Alley, isn't it? I mean, even in his new... Uh, I suppose I suppose you're relying on Bergwijn more, and we'll see what happens. But the important one here, do you... I mean, you heard what James had to say there, Jack. Do you think Spurs have solved their defensive issues? Because that was what was wrong with the team last year, wasn't it? Couldn't hold on to a lead, couldn't keep a clean sheet. I think, yeah, I've got more confidence on the defensive issue than the attacking issue because I think the defensive issue is not just it's not just to do with individuals. I think Romero looks fantastic and will be a great, a really, really good centre-back for, for Tottenham. But even if he's not, I think Nuno has shown that he can coach Sanchez and Dyer 
into some improvements. So, and if you th- throw in Romero as well, I know he's got this Argentina issue, but I'm not worried about that. I do think James is, is right when he says that the failure to add an attacking player is probably the big question mark from this window, not least because we know that Spurs were trying to do this. You know, they went in for Lautaro Martinez, they had a deal done with Inter, that didn't happen. They went for Adama Traore, they had a deal done, Wolves pulled out of that. They went back in with more money, as David Ornstein reported this week, that that didn't come off. And so they, they clearly wanted another forward and they clearly thought we can't just have Son and Kane, Lucas and Bergwijn as our, front, as our options in the front line. And they didn't get anyone else in. And you know, we're now in the situation, a bit like Spurs in the 2019-20 season, after the Urente had gone and before Vinicius came in, where if Kane gets injured, there's not a number nine, you know, and God knows what would happen. Yeah. If, like, if, Kane, if Kane gets injured for England this week, could happen, then what, it's going to be Son and Son and Lucas up front? I hear this kind of Son can play up front thing. I'm not convinced that's right. He'll try his best wherever he goes, but he just doesn't look like a natural... Look, since the game, since we went to one striker um, in teams and play, people playing wide, it's become almost a specialist position as goalkeeper being the striker in any one of these really top teams. And I don't think you can just sling people up front. And I just don't think Son is the answer either. So you're absolutely right. I mean, while you were talking there, my uh, personal drawing and painting skills have been compared to Matisse on several occasions. I just drew, this is only for you two, because of course everyone else is listening. That's a picture of Harry Kane's ankle. And I suspect that's what stands between Spurs and the crisis. That picture of Harry Kane's ankle uh, right there. We'll put that up on the website somewhere. <laughs> put that behind the paywall on the athletic. Uh, absolutely, because people <laughs> will come and pay to see that. We'll have a quick break. Um, and James, I must say, you seem calmer than when you texted. Um, that, that. <laughs> Is that fair to say? Have you calmed down? Uh, yeah, possibly a little bit, yeah. All right, we'll get Jack's take on Spurs' transfer window. As I say, I've got plenty to say about it as well, because, and I'm sure all of you listening to our voices will know, um, it really was, uh, in some ways, fantastically interesting. I'll just drop a, a, a hintlet. Spurs let, good, bad and indifferent, 11 full internationals go in this transfer window and have not replaced, with the exception of maybe Romero, with an obvious first team, first choicer. It's really, really high stakes stuff that they're doing. And we'll get Jack's view on it next here on The View From The Lane. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, everyone, we heard there before the break um, James's view on the, on the transfer window at Spurs. And James there has uh, possibly, under bribery from the Spurs management, has backed off um, from his massive <laughs> negativity uh, about the, uh, the, the transfer window. I'm not um, sure I'd go that far. No, you're all right. Well, you can get stuck into my view and Jack's view in a minute. Jack, you're supposed to be a neutral head on all this. What did you make of the transfer window for Tottenham Hotspur? Pretty good. Um, I think they achieved... They achieved some of their main targets. One, they kept Harry Kane. Two, years late, they finally did a bit of a rebuild. You know, they they finally got rid of Lamella, Toby, Danny Rose, Moussa Sissoko. That's more than 900 games for Tottenham Hotspur. But to be honest, I think a lot of those players, you know, Pochettino wanted to sell Toby Alderweireld in 2018. He wanted to sell Danny Rose in 2017. Uh, Lamella's been kind of in and out the door for years. Sissoko's been in and out the door for years. Great players in their own way, but this could have happened years ago. Probably should have happened years ago. So that part one, that's great. And the, I think someone told me the average age of players that Spurs have sold this summer has been 31, whereas the average age of players coming into Spurs has been 21. So they, they have successfully, I think, brought in a new generation of exciting, talented young players. Uh, I'm excited about Romero, Gil, Gallini, Pat Matasar, who I think we'll see next season. Sounds like a, a fantastic prospect. And of course, Emerson Royale. I just think they could have done with one more. And that one more, as James said, should have been a you know a surefire goal scorer. Someone that, you know, not a punt on a 22-year-old, but someone they knew could come in and score some goals. So if I've got any issue with the Spurs win, though, it would be that. But for the most part, given the circumstances and the context, I think they've done pretty well. Danny, can you now take back what you said about me being too positive? Um, <laughs> Listen to that. Go on. What that's, would you, a, that's, a, that's what? absolute insanity. Really? I mean, I mean, I'm not. Look, I'm not. No one thing that they've done in terms of the business has, has been bad. Uh, it's more. It's more the absence of certain activities that I think is the problem. Uh, yeah, one more forward player. Uh, do you not think a central midfield player as well, though? I mean, I, I, that's that that does worry me a bit. If Ndombele's not going to be, if, if Ndombele's not yeah, going to be that, right, that's I, the question, really, isn't it? So that actually, t- to be fair. It, it's also a fair criticism to say they failed to solve the anomaly issue because they've he's he's now in this kind of ambiguous position where he wanted to go they couldn't find they flopped his mates they've got two hundred yeah they've got two yeah they've got rid of his mates he's they've got a two hundred grand a week player who doesn't want to be there who isn't in the team and that money could in in an ideal world be going on someone who does want to be there so they are going to have to solve that midfield issue and this ties into the stuff we talked about after the Watford game like eventually I think they are going to have to get La Celso and Ndombele into the team because the midfield isn't good enough without them at least one of them is going to have to augment all that running and stuff aren't they um, yeah. the interesting thing what you said there is about, about the rebuild the timing of it and the reason for it now rather than then because everybody knows unless you're that mad Real Madrid team under Zidane three, four and five years ago um, when teams win the Champions League, it is nearly always, or get, even get the Champions League final, it's nearly always the end of a cycle because you've been building and working towards this and the players have had to learn to play in the latter stage of Champions League and all the rest of it. So when Spurs reached the Champions League final in 2019, 
it was obvious to everybody except apparently Daniel Levy that they had to move the team on. What do you think it's taken two years? That's a long time in professional football, uh, James, to, for the for Spurs to actually do what was patently necessary. I do, I do think there's like an emotional element to that. There's like an attachment to that group of players. I have it. I'm sure you do. Not, not, not just. No, I know we all do as well. And even the players, you know, in that group who, who are, you know, like like Lamella, who I was kind of, I, uh, I quite often frustrated by. You know, I'm sad that he's gone because he's like a big part of that era of supporting Spurs that is incredibly special to me. Um, and and you know, we know Levy at least claims to be a Spurs fan. And I think you saw a bit in the documentary of him being close to the players. Uh, you know, the, the bits of that documentary sat in the in the canteen having breakfast with Danny Rose or whatever, which, I, I, you know, if it happens on a weekly basis is insane. But clearly he has kind of aspirations of being close to the players or is close to the players. You know, Pochettino we know is an incredibly emotional bloke and sure. his coaching staff would have all been the same. So there would have been that attachment there, I think, to the group. And I, I, just, I, I just can't imagine there being like the sense within the club from anyone that they needed to like, at that point, rip the whole thing up and start again. I, I, and I, I do think it's kind, of, it's kind of easy to say with the benefit of hindsight, that's the moment they should have done it. And it's, it's correct, by the way. But um, I, I just don't think, I don't think many people were suggesting that at the time. Well, I think Pochettino actually would have been quite open to, to selling some of those That was players, before but... though, surely, wasn't it? Was that not before? I think it's, even in 2019, I think there were players who he probably he would have you know he wanted to sell Ericsson in 2019, yeah, and they true. knew that Ericsson wouldn't sign. That's slightly new different, though, isn't it? Ha- it is slightly different, but they had Napoli. Na- Napoli offered 40 million for Lucas Moura in 2019, but Spurs didn't want to sell him because, of course, it was only a few weeks after the Ajax hat trick. In hindsight, that would have been a great thing to have done. So I think it's a part of it as well is to do with when Daniel Levy sells a player, he wants to feel like he has got the best end of that transaction, which of course is the case. And we saw this a bit with the Kane stuff, I suppose. But that was the case, for example, when they sold Walker Bale, Berbatov, Modric. But maybe he doesn't really want to, he doesn't want to sell a player if, it's not, if he's not for what he perceives to be the full market value of the player. But in, again, in hindsight, you know, Danny Rose to Chelsea, they should have done that for 55 million or whatever it was in 2017. They got offered the thick end of 50 million for Eric Dyer by Manchester United at one stage. Yeah, and I'm sure they would have, I'm sure at the time it I can see why Tottenham wouldn't want to be seen as to be a selling club, but maybe in hindsight that, that would have worked out for them. I mean, it, it, it seems to be one of the maxims about team management that holds true is that you do, at the, at the height of a team's success, that's the moment you need to change it and refresh it. Now, no, emotionally, as you quite rightly point out, James, it is an emotional issue. Um, it, it is very hard to do that. But again and again and again, we've seen that's what the very best teams do. The truth is, you're abs- you two are absolutely right. They have not solved the extra forward issue. They have not solved the creativity in midfield issue, though the answers may still be at the club. But he has done an amazing amount of work. Between letting people go on loan, finishing loans and selling people and closing down contracts, these are 11 international players who have left Spurs in one transfer window. Some of these are farcical that they are internationals, but here's the facts. Joe Hart, Gazaniga, Arie, Foyt, Rose, Sissoko, Alderweireld, Bale, Lamella, Troy up front, who's gone on loan, and Cameron Carter, Vicar, who is still going to be a Spurs player when he's 60, but will be out on loan at Walsall, with all due respect to the Saddlers. I mean, that is an incredible turnover of dead, dying, and just about clinging on wood. He's done an amazing job there. Spurs have gone in one transfer window from the fifth oldest squad in the Premier League to the fifth youngest. That is a huge transformation. The other thing I think you need to take is the threes. They have kept their three best players who are 
Harry Kane, Son and Ndombele. Those are Spurs' best three footballers. They've also kept their most important three players, Harry Kane, Son and Hoiberg. Now, my edict that you can't sell your best players under any circumstances. Of course, lower down the leagues, you have to. That's how it works. But if you're going to, if you if you want to be a success, you can sell players, come and go, you have open marketplaces, have a revolving door for all I care, but you must hang on to your best talent. And they've done that. And I don't know about you, but Harry Kane doesn't seem the kind of guy to me to sulk. Certainly not on the pitch anyway. So him staying, getting rid of the dead wood, lowering the average age of the team, the squad is therefore better. Whether the team's any better, I have my doubts. That was like a great speech, wasn't it? It was. It was really rousing stuff. And it, ha- it has actually it has actually moved the dial a bit for me, actually. Because thinking about, like, my, my vision of this squad is it is kind of 5th, 6th, 7th, which is roughly sort of where they were before. And, you know, you're both right of what you say about coaching, by the way. Like, like you know, if Nuno can get better performances out of players like Dyer and, and Sanchez and find a way to get Tune out of Ndombele, then that team should improve massively over the course of the season. But I guess it's better to be sort of fifth or sixth best team squad in the Premier League with an average age of, you know, 23 or 24, whatever it is, than being fifth or sixth best team in squad in the Premier League with an average age of 31 and, you know, everyone's on the downward curve. I guess it's it's logically much better to have that. You're looking up rather than looking down at at the potential, aren't you? Let's do a pointless exercise for our own entertainment and I hope the entertainment of our new army of listeners, of course, award-winning numbers now listening to The View from the Lane. If you're enjoying listening to it, by all means, tell other people about it, particularly supporters of other clubs. Just tell them that it's just great and you and you ought to listen to it. Let's do a pointless exercise of marking the transfer window just for Spurs out of 10. I'm going to leave you to start this, James, since you were the one who wanted to talk about the transfer window in this way. I do think you talked me, talk me up slightly, and I would have probably said five out of ten before, as I said, because I think what's actually happened has been fine or good, but it was more some of the things that didn't happen. So on the basis of the kind of lowering the age and the hiring the ceiling potential in potential terms, I would say I'll give it a six out of ten. Thank you very much indeed. This is like um, Strictly Come Dancing now. I'm enjoying this part. Jack, I can't imagine it can't be long now until you're actually invited on to Strictly Come Dancing. But uh, what did you make of Spurs' transfer window in terms of sheer numbers? What's your mark? As ever with transfer windows, as Shuen Lai said, it's too early to tell. <laughs> um, but I think I'm going to go for a seven, I think. I mean, not perfect, still a few holes that they didn't fill but yeah I think seven sounds about right given what they did achieve well far be it from me to be optimistic about Spurs because that is A that is my nature but B experience has taught me to temper that Um, but I would have thought for me a transfer window with a fought off pretty serious attempt to to buy and or have sold for them by the media Harry Kane um, would be a seven to start with so given that they've done other things as well that I think were necessary uh, particularly, as I say, getting rid of players, and you know, this has not been a cheap operation. They had to pay off Aria, presumably, and some of the, and you know, they, they're moving on players who cost thirty million quid for whatever change Watford have found in their turn-ups of their trousers after a decent night out. I'd I'd give them another half a point for that. I can't go to eight. I think that's too positive. I'm going to say seven and a half, and I find myself remarkably being the most optimistic of the three of us. Okay. Uh, how does this affect the January window? I mean, the January window is only a runty little brother of the summer. I mean, what are these Spurs? 60, 70 million they spent in uh, net in this window? I mean, nothing like, for instance, Arsenal. But uh, suppose, Jack, you'll have to look into your journalistic crystal ball here. What does January hold? They could do stuff in January. I think they've got a, a little bit of money floating around. I think a lot of it depends really on 
can they get Ndombele reintegrated or is he still out the picture? That's probably the big question. If he's still not playing, then they should probably try again to move him on. If he is involved, then maybe they won't need a midfielder quite so much. Um, the other big question really is the, the Argentines. You know, If Romero and Lo Celso are not involved at all, if they're kind of disaffected, then maybe they might need a few other solutions, but m- maybe they'll be doing fantastically well and back in the team by then. And and then there's and then finally the front line. You know, it's if Kane gets injured, then they're going to get back on the phone to Carlos Vinicius. Or um, I was I was thinking, wondering if they might kind of miss the trick not signing Salomon Rondon, who's just gone to Everton to link up with Benitez for the third time. I think Rondon's a fantastic um, kind of back up to Kane type player. James. January, any you see anything happening? I'll tell you what, the reason I asked the question is because Paratici is a January specialist. He is forever getting in players who are out of contract. That's his thing, isn't oh, it? Oh, that's true. That is true. And we know Steve Hitchin from the documentary hates the January transfer window. So, I mean, I suppose that's a slightly different thing if you're teeing things up for the summer from January. I suspect unless... They're doing particularly badly. I don't think they'll do anything substantial in January. I, I, I don't know, you know, whether maybe there'll be some kind of loan from Syria or, or whatever, maybe. But um, yeah, I, I'd be surprised if they went out to try and sign someone for kind of upwards of £20 million. Just based purely on past experience. Okay, well, six, seven and seven and a half out of ten for the transfer window from a squad that finished seventh and I think underperformed last year. And I tend to blame the coach, but um, we'll see how he gets on at Rome. He's made a very good start. So what now that the window has <clears throat> slammed shut, what constitutes for Tottenham Hotspur a good season? We'll all have a go at this as well. I'm going to start with you, James. Um, with your with your um, cockerel tattoo over your left breast, what, what, what do you think is a good season for Tottenham? Well, you heard about that. Um, I saw it on the dark web. Very nice. That's <laughs> the only place you'll see it. Um, a good season. I, I mean, I guess kind of substantial progression in the league. So I suppose you'd have to say kind of fifth. I mean, that that top four, and we're calling it the top four already. Mm-hmm. City, United, Liverpool, uh, Chelsea. I mean, certainly City, United and Chelsea and Liverpool are the ones that kind of for the reasons sure. you mentioned before, who could maybe drop. But they do look like they're kind of a distance ahead of Spurs at the moment. Mm-hmm. So to finish fifth, to win this odd little European competition they found themselves in, if they can do that without kind of overexerting themselves, or, or you know maybe one of the domestic cups. I mean that would definitely be, you know this this trophy drought is a joke now, isn't it? Thirteen years or fourteen as it will be by the time we get to the second half. Longest of, this of my so. lifetime, and that's that's a long, oh, long time. Yeah, yeah. So finishing fifth and doing and winning one of those trophies would definitely be a big progress, wouldn't it? That would be a success for me. Yeah, um, I, I, I'll, I'll give my own view. It's not very far, it's very adjacent to that. What about yourself, Jack? What do you think? What constitutes a good season for Tottenham Hotspur? I think I don't think they should give up on fourth. I think they can get fourth. Um, I think that City, I think that City and Chelsea will be first and second. But behind that, I'm not that convinced by any of the, any of the other teams. I don't think Leicester are going to be good. I don't think Manchester United are going to be that good. And I, it remains to be seen whether Liverpool will be any better. They did finish behind West Ham as well last year. Yeah, but they've got European football now for the first time in ages every week, which is really hard for a squ- for a small squad that hasn't got European experience. So I wouldn't completely give up on fourth. I think fifth is probably more realistic. But then, you know, if they can get in and around fourth and fifth, persuade Harry Kane to sign a new contract, spend a bit more, you know, rake in some money from lots of home games and all the rest of it. I th- Yeah, you know, I think next season could be better than this one. One of the things about examining things through microscopes like we do on this podcast is you start to lose 
vision of what it is in the round. You start to concentrate on tiny bits of organism. What are we going to do between right centre-back and right back? Overall, Spurs have got a talented squad of players, properly coached and cheered on by 62,000 people. There's no reason why they shouldn't play some decent football, win one of those domestic trophies or the Conference League, play some decent football. That will be a real big improvement. And I also think that the clearing out of the Deadwood, much as I love Danny Rose, Toby Alderweireld, etc. And Gazaniga, to be absolutely honest, sometimes I'm not saying you have to take them out like a dog and shoot them in the car park. Like an alpaca. Yeah, oh, like the alpaca, yeah. They had to move on. That's the end of this podcast, joking about a dead alpaca now. No one's going to have that in 2021. Jack, what have you been writing? What are you going to write? What has James insisted that you write for the Mighty Athletic? Well, after so I've just done a uh, kind of roundup of the window talking about uh, a lot of the stuff that we've covered on today's podcast, actually. But mm. we, my next priority really is England duty. So I am going to... Um, and England against Andorra at Wembley this week, and then to Warsaw next week for Poland against England. I imagine if uh, if Harry Kane wasn't already miserable enough, the fact that they're going to no doubt pick Bamford for the game against Andorra, where Harry might run up three or four goals, um, is going to further add to, to his slightly gloomy aspect. Listen, thank you very much indeed for all of that. We'll be back early next week, where we'll continue to talk about Spurs, maybe how some of their players have done uh, in these uh, astonishing amount of internationals they're being asked to play right at the start of a Premier League season, if you don't mind. Thanks to James and Jack themselves. Thank you to all of you uh, for listening. Continue to download and enjoy the podcast. We really, really uh, love to know that you're on the far end of it. And if you're not already a subscriber, you can read all the articles that um, Jack's been talking about and many, many more uh, by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up with a 33% discount on a full subscription. We're back next week, as I say. Thank you all for listening. Cheers. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.